Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) Do men need women more or do women need men more? When you think of men's interactions with women, does the word fear come to mind? Today, we're speaking with a psychologist who specializes in men's therapy, and we uncover what really goes through a man's mind and what they need. Avram Weiss, welcome. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Do you fear me? I do. (laughs) Has anybody ever started off the conversation that way? Yes, frequently these days. Oh my goodness. I just did a poll on my Twitter asking, do men fear women? Oh yeah. I'm dying to hear what you what you got, or it's still I just did it, but so far the answer is no. Do you hear that more frequently than not? I will bet you $20 it's women responding. Ooh, could be. Because women have no idea. To women, it seems, how could men be afraid of women? They run the world. What What do they have to be afraid of? Interesting. <clears throat> One thing about your book that jumped out at me right away was, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. Yeah. In your house, that was definitely true. Absolutely. Well, I think in, in many homes, it's true. It's the power of the disempowered. You know, people who don't have overt power take covert power. Ooh, yeah. Another thing that hit me really hard, too, was what is it like to be the son of someone who wants to commit suicide and tells you that? Well, it's not a very uh, valuing experience. It's not It's not an experience that would suggest to you that you're important or worth living for. What does that do to you? I think it, it puts you in a position of put me in a position of feeling like I had to monitor women and be responsible for their happiness, which I think most men would say is true for them. How can you fix that? Well, it's it's not an easy (laughs) question. I mean, I think that there are a number of steps. It's not a quick fix, but it starts with sort of rethinking the role that men have in the world and the ways in which that works and the ways in which that is absolutely definitely not working. Let's talk about how it's not working. Yeah. Well, I mean, the simplest way, men die sooner. That has been accelerating. And right now, white middle-aged men are the only demographic where lifespan is going down, not up. And they're mostly what we call deaths of despair, which are mostly suicide and addiction and from high-risk behavior, like drinking and driving or playing with guns or, you know, things like that. And so just on on the most basic level, it's literally fail. It's a, the, our ideas about masculinity are literally, and then it's not working well for society either. If, if, if you look at the data about what things in the world are most dangerous, is it AIDS? Is it COVID? It's males aged 19 to 24, the single most dangerous thing in the world, cause more death and destruction than anything else, more than alcohol, more than guns. It's men. And you've spent a lifetime work of studying this. Yes, in that I really, I just listen. You know, I work mm. with a lot of men. If you listen to men talk without presuppositions, if you just listen without having your mind made up already, and you really listen to what they're saying, this is what you hear. So it was, it was no great insight on my part. It wasn't something I figured out. It's just something I heard. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit more about what those conversations look like? Mostly what men talk about with other men is how unhappy they are in their relationships and how unhappy and powerless they feel. And so I started asking men the sort of obvious question, I thought, which is, you know, the kind of question a therapist would ask. I would ask, so do you talk to your wife or girlfriend or partner about this? Pretty obvious. And they would look at me like I was an idiot. (laughs) 
like I had just asked the stupidest question imaginable. And that's when I learned, I was like, it occurred to me like, oh, you're, you don't talk to her because you're afraid to talk to her. And I would start saying, you know, it sounds like you're afraid to talk to her. And they would, they would sort of bow up and get defensive, but it would last, it lasts less than a minute. So that's why I know it's women who answered that poll because men within a minute, now men, it might've been men if they answered it very quickly, but when you suggest the idea to men within about a minute, they look at you like, you know, that would explain a lot. <laughs> that would, And then, you know, they start unpacking a lot of the problems in their lives through that lens make more sense. And does it always go back to childhood? Well, you know, you ask a therapist that question, of course, I'm going to say yes. I mean, and I think I think the data supports that. Yes. I mean, we, there's a lot of really interesting and deeply disturbing research about how gender socialization starts. Like we have we have data that suggests it starts as young as four months old, that parents very unintentionally. So if, you, if you've ever been to a kid's soccer game or a kid's sporting game of any kind, when the boys fall down and they look over at their parents, the parents go, come on, get, up, get back in the game. And they're saying, you know, don't pay attention. If, it, if you're hurt, ignore it, push past it, keep going. And the girls fall down, you know, usually the parents on the sideline are, oh, honey, are you okay? Do you need a timeout? So, you know, at a very young age, we're teaching them how to behave, how to feel, what to expect, and the expectations. We've put a lot of thought and attention into how those gender expectations are damaging to women. A lot, and thank God we have. But we're really just starting to ask the same questions about, well, it must be impacting men too. How could they not? Do you have those examples in your own life? Yeah, actually, there's one in the book, which I think is kind of funny which is the only time I've ever been arrested. You know, I was with a friend, I mean, I'll say the story for people who haven't read the book. And, you know, I was like 16 and he's my first close guy friend. And we would just talk for hours, the same way girls talk with each other for hours with their friends. I drive him home and I'm parked in front of his house and we're talking, talking, talking. Eventually I just turn the car off because gas is not cheap. And so we're sitting in the car, it's dark. We're slouched down in our seats and a cop comes up behind us and arrests us. So I, years later, I think to myself, why did he arrest it? Oh, and we're in front of my friend's house. And he says, it's my house. I live right here. They don't ring the doorbell and go ask his parents. They take us to the station. Years later, I understand what was happening. The cop could not imagine two young men sitting in a car and talking. In his mind, we had to be up to no good because men don't sit in a car and talk. So we had to be having sex or doing drugs or something we weren't supposed to be doing. And he didn't even ask us. He just couldn't even imagine. He didn't say, what are you up to? He was just assumed we were up to no good. That's crazy. What happened next? Our parents came to the station. I have no idea what the charges were. They made our parents come to the station and, and bring us home. And I, you know, my parents were angry. I'm like, <laughs> I didn't do anything. You know, it's interesting. I just spoke to a guy today. I'll give him a shout out. His name is Jeff. I hope that his last name is Kikel. It's K-I-K-E-L. But he was talking about how he could never go back to working in corporate America again, because it's like once you get at the top, everybody is posturing and you oh, know, yeah. gunning for each other and it becomes very lonely and you can't actually right. talk to other men at the top. And there you, is, yeah. you spoke about that, how yeah, lonely it is at the yes. top. There, there's actually a wonderful book called Lonely at the Top by Thomas Joyner, which basically makes the point that men do a kind of Dorian Gray trade. We trade, we come out of college and women in college and out of college think of our relationships and men think about success and achievement and accomplishment. And so then we get, you know, whatever, 20 years out midlife and men, something will happen in a man's life, usually a divorce or an illness that makes them stop and take stock of their lives. And they go, I don't know anybody. You know, I have acquaintances, but like there'll be a challenge, like their parent dies or they get cancer or something. And they turn to look for people and they realize they don't have any, that they are completely, and that the relationships they have, or they get divorced and they think they have friends, but what they realize is they have the husbands of their wife's friends and that their wives have managed those relationships because the only way their husbands would socialize with the other couple is if they basically, the wives made a play date for the guys so that the women could be together. There's a wonderful video on Saturday Night Live. If you haven't seen it, it's called Man Park. It went viral. 
And it's a video about a woman who goes out to work. She has a stay-at-home husband. And she comes home and he's lonely and he, he's got a million questions for, oh, honey, guess what? Today I cleaned the bathroom. He's just like pestering her to death with questions. She's exhausted. She says, honey, we have to take you to the man park. You drive him. <laughs> so she takes him almost on a leash, you know, to the park. And then the women there are like, go ahead. You can play with the other boys. It's okay. Go ahead and talk to them. And it went viral because it's, it's painfully close to the truth. That's interesting. It's hilarious. You should watch it. Oh, Go that's really good. I mean, Saturday even night. the way that you described it made me laugh. But also, what about veterans who have this sense of camaraderie and they speak the same language and they're going through crazy times together and then they try to enter civilian life and who understands them and who can they really share that they've shot people with? It's interesting. You said I've done a lot of work with veterans, which is part of how I started working with men. For veterans, I, I like the way you described it. And it's actually pretty similar to college in this sense. It's easy to have friendships in college. Even, even a recluse has friends in college because they're all around you. You're literally three feet down the hall is, is a door with somebody else your age. And in the military, you eat, sleep, you know, everything. And then it abruptly, both of them end abruptly. They don't taper off. They just, you know, in the military, it's literally 24 hours and you're out, you're back, you know, sitting in your Hawaiian shirt at the local VFW, not knowing what the hell to do. And it's a transition that men often don't do well with. And how do you talk to your wife about that? I mean, some probably don't. Well, my premise in the book is one of the things that I feel strongly about. So the last section of the book has three chapters. A chapter, for, I'm telling you, read it, but a chapter for men on how to work with other men, women, how to do their work, and then couples. And so I think it goes in that order. I think if you start off as a man at the beginning, trying to talk to your wife or your girlfriend, it doesn't go well. I think, A, you don't have enough experience and you're not fluid and you're not comfortable with it. And it goes a lot better if you sort of learn how to do it in talking with other men first. We had a, a really sort of great example of this. I was you know, all my groups are online now. I do groups with men. And one of the guys in the group was doing a very emotional piece of work and crying and really into it. And it involves something that it would clearly be good of him to share with his wife. And I asked him, have you shared this with your wife? And he said, no, I haven't. I said, look, we still have another hour of group. Is she home? Yes, she is. I said, why don't you go and talk to her, give it a shot and talk to her. And then you come back and we'll still have time to talk about how it went. And so in the middle of the group, he got up and went and talked to his wife and came back and it went great. A lot of times men are worried that it's not gonna go well, their wife will think less of them or whatever. But of course, mostly when they do it, it goes really well because on the other end, women are dying to have their partners talk to them and dying to learn more about. Have you seen this show out now on Netflix called Borgen? I haven't seen it yet. It's about a woman becomes prime minister of Denmark. So it's about what government be like led by women. She's dating this guy and they break up repeatedly because he lies to her about everything about his past because he was, I'm going to give away part of the show, but he was sexually abused. And he, so he hides, he makes up a whole past and he loves her and he's begging her to be with him. But she's like, I can't be with you. You don't tell me anything about yourself. So in the last episode we watched, his dad who abused him died. He comes to see his former girlfriend with a box of stuff from his childhood, including a video cassette of news stories about him being abused. He knocks on her apartment door, hands her the box and leaves. That's the closest he can come to talking with her about. He can't say it. He can only show it and then hope that she'll talk to him about it. Okay, I'm actually really glad that you brought this up because I actually know someone in that situation that has never told their wife. Yeah, I guess talk to other men first. Same thing. <laughs> One of the things that's really surprised me about doing men's groups, when I started doing men's groups, I thought this is really the stupidest idea I've ever had. This is going to be awful because they're going to talk about work and they're going to talk about business and it's going to be not personal and not intimate. Totally wrong. I've never been more wrong as a therapist. My groups of men open up and share with each other in ways that say, so see the look on your face. You're like, what is he talking about? It's, but I'm telling you, it's yeah, true. I'm, I'm so happy to hear it. It's great. My, the people in my men's groups embrace, they talk about loving each other, they show up for each other. And what I learned is how much of this is socialized out of it. Men have friendships with each other as young boys 
that are as intense and as close and as important to them as your friendships were with girls. But then we got taught that that's not manly, that's not masculine, that's not. Every man I work with says to me, I'd love to have a close friend with another man, but none of them are interested. Well, you can't all think that. It's just you don't know that they're interested. It's just that everybody's afraid to say, yeah, I'd like to be closer friends. So they all want the same thing. They can't find a way to talk to each other about it. And you facilitated that. Yes. I mean, I facilitated it because I'm sort of the go-between, because I, after listening to literally thousands of hours of men talking, I kind of know how it goes. And I understand the sort of subtext between the lines. And so I just fill in the subtext and say, sounds like you're really looking for someone to talk to, you know, which I know is true. And so when I hear it, I recognize it. I love that. What mm -hmm. has come of facilitating this group that you wouldn't have expected? By bringing these men together, yes. have you learned something that you didn't expect? Well, everything I've said so far is I've learned from doing this. Yeah. So absolutely. I've learned all of this from doing that. But also, I would say the biggest unexpected thing for me has been the impact on the women in their lives. I'm doing workshops now for men and women around the country on helping them understand each other. I love it. So I needed. I think about it as like translation, like cross-cultural translation. So one of the things I do is I play like a newlywed game, right? Do you, you remember the newlywed game? Yeah. We watch the game show, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They ask couples questions about each other and neither one of them knows what the other one's thinking, right? So that's what I do in the workshops. I, I, I ask that. questions about everyday experiences and I have the women say what they think the men would answer and I have the men say what they think the women would answer. And of course, they're like this. You know, they're that's ingenious. That's such a great idea. And so, they probably um, have a blast. They have a blast and they're embarrassed, you know, but in a, <laughs> in a good way. I did this workshop and I, it was a two day workshop. And then four months later, we had another two day workshop with the same people. So there's a four month period where they went home and they were in their relationships to practice what they'd learned. And much to my surprise, the women had made much bigger changes in their marriages as a result of the first two days together than the men had. Actually, I have a quote from one of the women in that workshop, which I will read to you. I love this quote, it's in the book. I understand that my husband has not been ignoring, dismissing, or hurting me out of a lack of respect, as I suspected, but that he's scared. Scared to hurt me, scared to mess up with me, and scared to not be enough. I had honestly never imagined that he was scared and that I was so profoundly important to him that he was constantly terrified I would leave him. That's the biggest mistake, the biggest misunderstanding that women have. Men have managed to convince women that we don't need you, that we could live without you and we're, we're indifferent to you. And it's a shock for women to find out how dependent men are on women and how much they do need their partners. And it's it's not hard to see because when men and women break up, when a, when a heterosexual couple breaks up, who gets back together with somebody else faster? Men by far. Interesting. Men, the ink ain't dry. <laughs> and they're outdating. I can see that. Well, oftentimes yeah. men, you know, sort of have prepared a landing place to put it politely. Yeah. Uh, or they leave a relationship because they don't think they'll be okay without a woman. Interesting. Also in the pitch, when you reached out to me, I thought it was interesting. And I don't know if you pitch other podcasts in the same way, but you said like, let's talk about the word pussy whipped. And I was like, that is an attention grabber. I never would have even thought of the subject to talk about with my dad. But I think that that's actually really interesting. Well, isn't it interesting that the worst thing one man can say to another man is that he's controlled, not on, on the surface controlled by a woman, but really if you dig a little deeper, controlled by his need for a woman. Well, my son has a word for that. He calls it a simp. Have you heard that uh, term? No, uh-uh. Like my husband always caves in. It's it's a new uh, slang word. Look it up. <laughs> I see. Like wimp with... Yeah. yeah, like sensitive wimp. Yeah. 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 As he grows into being a man, he's looking to understand this stuff. I also would like you to touch upon, which I feel, you know, relates very much to this, is like men with abandonment issues. All men have abandonment issues. <laughs> That's, that's the point of the book, is that the bottom line, the fear that, you know, in, in the Lord of the Rings, the one ring that rules them all, the one fear that drives them all is the fear of abandonment. And understand that almost every guy was raised by a woman. Our earliest experience, well, first of all, 
in utero, our first relationship was absolutely, unless you were born in a test tube, you were raised in utero inside a woman. And then you come out and a woman provides your human infants are helpless compared to other, you know, horses are born, they get up and run around. Human infants are helpless for an extended period of time and completely dependent on their caretakers who are overwhelmingly women. And what are your thoughts about what happens in your utero, like on a spiritual level? I think on a spiritual level, I'm so glad you asked because I think about that a lot. In utero is the ultimate spiritual experience. It's complete, absolute, total oneness. There is no separation from the, in, I think in the infant's consciousness, there is no separation. There's just mommy and I are one. And then the reason, I think that's why babies cry when they're born, because everything is perfect in utero. It's the little womb is 98.6 degrees. You're never hungry. You're never cold. You're never nothing. You're just there, Zen. And then you're born and you're cold and the lights are too bright and you're hungry and they jerked you out of there and it's, you're bruised and all these horrible things happen. It's a trauma being born. And for the rest of your life, you have to find a way of communicating what you want. And in utero, you never have to ask. It's just there. Do you, you think know, the like, mom's oh, state during the pregnancy affects the sure. baby? Oh, absolutely. No question about it. The more anxious moms are during the pregnancy, the more colicky the babies are. Absolutely. I've seen that so many times. Interesting. So then you have to learn how to use words and you have to learn how to say what you want and ask for you want. And most upsettingly is it's never perfect again. So the, the classic example of this is the gift. And everybody says, I want him or her, I want him or her to get me the gift I want without my having to say it. And that's an expression of a, a desire to return to the womb. I want you to love me so perfectly that you know what I need without my having to use words to say it. But that's not human. That's not possible after birth. And so there are always gaps in care. There's always moments where the other person doesn't get it. It's just inevitable. So for men, that's with a woman. Unless you're a very unusual situation where you were raised by a man, you're probably raised by a woman. And so all that stuff is with women. And then if you're a heterosexual man, you have a partner who is the same gender as the person you had all these issues with, and they all get replayed. They all get reactivated again. And, you know, like you pointed out, we go from if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy to happy wife, happy life. We just transfer all that to women and we watch women to make sure they're not going to leave us. It's interesting that you said that all men have abandonment issues, and that's whether they come from a broken home or not. I think so, I, because there are gaps in caregiving. There can't mm -hmm. not, there have to be. So there are moments uh, in the book, I talk about the still face experiment. And it's an experiment in which they take little babies and their mommies, and they're in a split screen. You can see them both. And they're, they're clearly having a conversation. The babies can't talk, but the mom makes a funny face and the baby laughs and the mom laughs. And they're going, it's going back and forth. And in the experiment, they just have the mom turn away and look back with a blank, face, still face, not angry, not critical, just not responsive. And the babies start crying immediately and they get so upset. Some of them lose body and, and bowel control and bladder control. As babies, we have to watch our moms very carefully Tim, because we need them. So we grow up watching women and it's life and death for us, whether or not that woman is still going to be there and take care of us. You don't outgrow that. You don't just, you don't just like grow up and forget that. You retain it. And if you're a straight guy, you act it out in your primary relationship. And you watch your wife in the same way. And if she's upset, nothing matters until you figure out how to please her. Can you talk about how you worked it out in your first relationship? I didn't. I'm divorced. <laughs> so I would say that those kinds of issues and relationships can be worked out extraordinarily well when, so I started to tell you the story about how the women had made more changes. And the reason is because as this woman said, men tend to protect themselves by withdrawing. Right. They see intimacy as an uneven playing ground and a rigged playing ground where they don't know the rules and they're at a disadvantage. So they withdraw. They basically take their ball and go home. Women interpret that as a power trip. 
like you're trying to control me you're just trying to get the upper hand and they don't understand so they get angry because the more connection they try to make the more their partner withdraws so they walk around pretty angry and upset with their partners a lot of the time when they understand the fear that's underneath that that anger often turns to compassion like oh I thought you were just being a jerk. I didn't know that you were a scared little boy still. When we get to these emotional depths, I'm really sitting and talking to a scared little boy. How powerful is that though? Like if they really can get to having that Absolutely. conversation. Absolutely, it can change. What I see again and again and again is couples who've been in the same loop, having the same fight again and again and again. And this understanding really can change that. It sounds so like a breakthrough. Yeah. If we can get the word out there and, and help people to know this, a lot, what a lot of couples are doing, which I love, is they're reading the book together. They just read a chapter at a time, and then they make a time to sit and talk, and they read the next chapter. And it's like that scene from the show Borgen I was telling you about. The men are saying to their partners, I don't know how to talk to you about this, but it's in chapter two. Read, read chapter two, and then you'll know more about me. And I so then that. it helps get the conversation going. Interesting. Wow. So it's a great anniversary gift. I love it. I love it. Hey, my husband's birthday and our anniversary is coming up. There you go. At the first, he's going to wonder what the hell you're up to <laughs> getting him a book like this. My husband, though, he's a very good communicator, but I definitely think that it would benefit us to read it together. I yeah. could see where it would. I think you'll have a lot of interesting conversations. There will be, a. I promise you, things you had no idea about it, things you will learn that will really, really surprise you. The question that I wrote down too is like, what hasn't your spouse told you? My spouse? No, I mean, uh, in any relationship. Oh, there's got there to be things. stuff. Sure. Well, and some of them are things they haven't told you because they really haven't formulated them themselves. Ooh. In other words, they're so buried that they don't even have the words for. So I think, again, in the scene from that show, when he hands her the box, I don't think he could have talked. In fact, I'm clear. He wasn't withholding. He was like preverbal. You know, he, he did not have the capacity to talk about. It. The only way he could share it with her was to hand her the box. That is a very powerful image. Yeah. Now, you know, hopefully, so he hands her the box and leaves. She starts going through the box and of course is crying because here's this man that she loves who's been a real jerk to her. And she's seeing, again, she's been thinking, well, he's just a jerk. She sees what's in the box and realizes, oh, there's a reason he behaves like such a jerk. She starts crying and she goes to see him and they embrace both crying. Not a word is exchanged. He doesn't have words yet, but now they both know what's going on and they can, in a loving way, embrace and then hopefully begin to talk. Do you think that men who have been abused can have healthy relationships if they never address it? Oh, <laughs> so I was all set to say yes. And then you say, if they never address it. Well, I would say if they never address it, that there will be kind of a ceiling on the relationship or a basement, if you think of it in terms of death. There'll, there'll be a limit. There'll be places the couple doesn't ever go and they don't really know why. So they might get along fine, but when something really challenging comes up, they might not have the kind of connection with each other to get through like the illness of a child or, you know, a financial loss or something like that. They might not have the kind of depth of connection that they need to get through the really hard stuff. So alongside that, how important is intimacy? Well, you know, we have a whole new idea about that, that we didn't have a few generations ago. I don't think my, I know my grandparents never thought about the word intimacy. You know, I mean, my grandparents were immigrants. They came here, they started a business. All they thought about was buying a house and putting their kids through college. But now their marriage was a partnership. They were there to, to make a family. Were they match made? No, they met here. There's now still matchmaking we, going on. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> Now we expect a lot more out of our marriages. And so it's no surprise that not as many marriages last because we're asking a lot. And I would say we're asking too much of mm. our marriages. And women understand that better than men do because women typically have other intimate relationships. And so they don't have all their eggs in the same basket. But men typically don't. And so they put a lot of pressure on the marriage. And this is why the skit man part, because 
women know this and are saying, you know, please go out and make a friend. Please talk to somebody else as well as me. Not, I don't want you to stop talking to me, but you know, you've talked to me about this problem at work every night for a month. And could you talk to somebody else, please? Yeah. What would you say as far as men who have trouble making friends? I think that's almost a redundant statement. It is a redundant statement. There's a lovely concept now where we're talking about fragile masculinity and what fragile masculinity means. So you're a woman, you're female, you grew up knowing that. I don't, you probably didn't have a lot of times in your life where you wondered, oh, I wonder if I'm woman enough or if I'm really, right? It's just, it's like air. It's just something you, you know. It's not like that for men. Men grow up with masculinity being sort of vague, unclear, not well-defined, and masculinity mostly means, in this culture, not feminine. The way that you demonstrate that you are masculine is by not having any feminine traits. Unfortunately, intimacy, warmth, tenderness are all considered feminine traits. So to be accepted as a man in this culture means foregoing intimacy, closeness, and tenderness. And it's a terrible bind for men. And they basically, most men end up choosing masculinity as it's culturally defined, meaning success and accomplishment and productivity at the cost of. And so there's a huge loss for men, again, who had close friends as a child and then basically gave that up for success. And it's, you know, it's like the portrait of Dorian Gray. You look and you say, wow, this is, this is not gone well for me. I'm not very happy. And I'm again, thinking about, you know, a veteran that I recently heard speak saying my friends are my family. And then another Marine saying to him, Hey, you know, I think it might be good for you to like, check out these organizations or to like, get out of your house, but having another Marine say it, and you know, start the converse, conversation with the semper yeah. fi and letting him know, hey, I've been where you've been. He was more able to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think the work starts with men talking to other men. I think that's, so there is a chapter in the book for men who want to start a group with other men. And there's a Facebook page for guys who want to do that, where they can talk to each other about how did you do this? And did you meet on Wednesdays? Or how did you find people or whatever? There's a wonderful author who said that we can change laws, we can make this and do that. The patriarchy is is only one thing that's going to end the patriarchy. And that is when men take equal part in raising children, which is a profound idea that it would be something so simple and so close to home. But I think she's right. Because if babies were raised by men and women, it wouldn't be all the eggs in the basket with mommy. And if mommy was inattentive for a moment, you'd have daddy. And so it wouldn't be a life and death matter if you lost your mother's attention for a moment. If she had a still face, you'd just go find daddy. I definitely do that. (laughs) Hence the name of my show. Exactly. Well, it's, there's a, I'm trying to remember his name. I think it's Aldous Huxley wrote a book, his version of Utopia called Island. And in his book, Utopia, part of what, a perfect world was every child had a second family within who lived within walking distance. And if you were irritated with your mom, you just went to your other family. You didn't even have to let your mom you know you were going. If you didn't show up for dinner, that meant you were at your other family with the idea being that it's too much for one family. But of course, there are times where we don't get along. We don't understand each other. We don't say the right thing. And if we could spread it out a little bit to friends and neighbors, aunts and uncles and grandparents, there'd be a lot less pressure. Well, see, that's honestly like part of why I wanted to start this show. I mean, my grandparents, I spent every weekend at their house until I was in yeah. fifth grade. They were yeah. that other family. They were that second family right. to me. My grandmother um, is Kainahara, almost 94, and she's been a best friend. She's been like a second mother. She, I, I, I call her just as frequently as my dad. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really the ideal. I mean, I moved to where I raised my kids because we have family So the idea of having kids, you know, isolated and alone was, I wasn't going to do it. I would have not had kids. And look, both me and my husband said out loud to our parents that we didn't want to have kids. And, you know, we got married technically later. I had my first kid at 28. You know, Mm -hmm. my mom had me at 19. Right. And I think what's missing in today's generation is that intergenerational piece. Yeah. Like kids very much need to be able to call their grandma and grandpa or a relative if they're not getting along with their parents, yeah. especially through this isolation period of COVID. Absolutely. That's made it much, much worse. 
Yeah. Talk to me about legacy and like what you want to pass on to your children. My kids are older. So, you know, my kids are 30 and 34. So I think I can already see that I have passed on to my kids. My kids are good people. They're loving people. They're politically aware people. They care about what's going on in the world. They have good values. All I'm really looking for. And I think I can say, you know, that my kids have that. Have you figured out the meaning of life? <laughs> the older I get, the more simple terms I tend to think of things in. For me, the meaning of life now, at this point in my life, I would say is, did I do what I wanted to do today? And did I enjoy it? Did, was I honest with myself? Did my day reflect what I wanted it to? Or did I continue to pretend and posture and try to be the person that other people wanted me to be? Or was I myself today? Wow, that's really beautiful. I absolutely love that. I know that on another podcast, I heard you say that you've had some criticism for even putting your work out there. From some very good friends. Interesting. Well, here's the way it goes. <laughs> These friends are very, very, they're not only feminists, they're like, it's their career, it's their lives. And they feel like my book will be misused. It's not that they think I think this, but they think that people will, some of the alt-right men's movement stuff, and it has happened, that they'll look at my book and say, they'll use it as a weapon and say, see, men are not really misbehaving. It's, you shouldn't blame men, they're just scared. It's not their fault. And how do you respond to that? I respond to that with a quote from Martin Luther King, mm. who said, segregation scars the soul of the perpetrator as much as the victim. What he's saying is white people are as damaged by segregation as black people. And I'm saying patriarchy damages men as much as it damages women. It has to be. You can't occupy the West Bank and not be damaged by that. You know, you can't send your army into Ukraine and not be damaged by it. You may take over Ukraine and occupy it, but you're going to be damaged by it. And so for men, you can't oppress people in a patriarchal system and not be harmed by it. And if we don't get interested in understanding men, I don't know how we're ever going to fix it. Wow. I love that. If we just blame men and criticize them for the existence of the patriarchy and oppressing women, all of which, you know, guilty. But like, that's the verdict. Now, what's the sentence? Well, the sentence better be understanding men, not punishing them, not just blaming them, but helping them. What would the perfect future look like for you? Well, I think in a future, I would actually say that where I live now is pretty close to perfect. I live on an island in Penobscot Bay off the coast of Maine. Beautiful. 1,200 people here. I went to town to run errands before I came on this show, and I saw three people I know. You know, I saw people I knew in the grocery store. I saw people I knew in the post office. I saw people I knew as I went down to pump out my dinghy down by the dock. I am surrounded in a nest of relationships. And most people here have, if I broke my leg and I could, we heat with wood here and I couldn't get, I'm looking out at five cords of wood right there. Somebody would carry wood into my house for my wife. Somebody would help her. They would come by every day and they would carry wood in. People know what's going on with each other here and they look out for each other. It's not, it's not perfect, but it's small enough that people really are in each other's lives and really do care. You know, when we had a, you know, it happens, people die. Fairly young guy died recently and left behind a wife and kids. And the community raised like tens of thousands of dollars for this time. Now they still have a problem because, you know, his whole lifetime of earnings, but you know, they, they hold cookouts and music events and raise a lot of money. So I think that's what everybody's missing and everybody wants. Yeah. I'm like, how can everyone have that? I think that city planners are trying to, if you look in most cities, you know, it's all about what do they call them? Multi-use developments. You know, they're, they're trying to plan where you don't have to get in your car and drive to the mall, where you could walk down the street and then you might see people, you know, they're moving porches back to the front of the houses. You know, porches used to be on the front of the house where you could see your neighbors. And then we moved them to the back of the house and then we got air conditioning. So you don't ever see your neighbors. So they're, they're trying to hear what people are saying and they're trying to create opportunities for people to interact in just very simple, everyday kind of ways. I wrote an article about 
about this just bumping into people and it had 50,000 views. It was an article about going to the bakery and chatting with my friend who runs the bakery and 50,000 people read that article because it touched them. Okay, you're going to have to send me a link to that. I'll totally okay. put it in the show notes. Why sure. yeah, why do you think it touched them so much? Cuz I think people are are isolated and lonely and they wish they had a bake I wish they knew the person at the bakery. They wish they had a bakery to go down and buy a cup of coffee and chat with the, their friend for a moment. That actually makes me want to get in my car and just go to a different bakery or a coffee shop that I've never been to before. You know, even before I moved here, I patronized businesses where I know the people because those little conversations are priceless to me. I love that. You know what's so funny? I have gone to the same juice bar for the past couple of weeks. Yeah. In fact, I even like left my credit card there last week. And then yep. the person who normally works like wasn't there. And I called and asked if I left my credit card and they're like, nope, sorry. And then I went there yesterday and I was like, hey, have you seen my credit card? And he was like, it was literally the top one. But I've never actually asked that guy anything about himself. Yep. But you can. I mean, and how so simple is that, in, right? You, say, you know, he says, uh, my hip's hurting. And then the next time you go in, you say, how's your hip? You know, it's it's what made Cheers such a popular show. Exactly. I was thinking that. Everybody knows your name. The, right. Show starts the same way. Norm walks in and they know him. It's a place where he's known. Now, do they know much about him? No, but it's Norm. But this too is exactly why my parents and grandparents on my mom's side, like have never left Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. They've lived there my entire life. Yeah. Because they want to go where everybody knows their name. That's they right. Have their, their places that they go to. And I think we, we gave that up very carelessly. We all, you know, everybody moved out to the suburbs thinking that stuff didn't matter. And then now we're sort of figuring out it does. So how can we find that again? Right. I think, I think we're going to redevelop our cities. I think we're going to think we are in the midst of planning spaces that are more. So it's more environmentally friendly for people to live in concentrated areas rather than all spread out because you don't have to drive as much. So it's in terms of global warming and, and the environment, it's better. And emotionally in Scandinavia, I think it's Denmark. The single most effective substance abuse program that I have ever read anywhere in the world is either Denmark or Sweden. And the way they treated substance abuse in young people was they opened community centers and binge drinking went down 65%. Just opening teen centers with pool tables and ping pong tables and place for kids to hang out and have a Coke. Binge drinking dropped 65%. That's how much it matters. I mean, I have spoken to a girl who told me, you know, that she got in trouble with drugs as a kid and now she's gotten very into yoga and being outdoors and that nature is her healer. Yeah, it's connection. It's really all about connection. We are, we are built to connect. You have a whole part of your brain that's called mirror neurons. You ever, if you feed a baby, you ever watch somebody feeding a baby, they do this. They open their mouth when they're, right? It's just human response. We have a whole part of our brain, which is designed to react to you. I wonder we if I could like do that with my kids tonight, just to like test it. <laughs> You're like my three-year-old might play along. Yeah. So we're designed for connection. And when we don't have it, we don't, we don't do well. Thank you for connecting with me today. I think my dad will really love this conversation. Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad or connect with him about? I'd like to meet him. I think uh, he must be quite an extraordinary guy to have uh, prompted all this in you. I have a daughter. I think a father-daughter connections are, are very special and unique. When my daughter was young, I used to always say to her, don't ever have a husband who doesn't adore you as much as I do. I love that. But I think that's what dads teach their daughters is here's how you should expect to be treated by a man. So it's an awfully important relationship for a girl and a young woman. Definitely. I got lucky. <laughs> Good. Yeah, but I would so much agree with you. And it's really important in who you pick as a husband so that your yeah. kids can see that. So in the same way, your son is watching how your husband treats you and how you treat your husband. And he's soaking it all up and learning about how men and women are together by watching the two of you. It's a big responsibility to be a parent. It's not easy. I think that's probably the biggest responsibility any of us will ever have. Do you think it's the most rewarding? I hope so. I mean, it's certainly, there are days when it is. I, you know, it isn't always so rewarding, but overall I would say yes. We'll talk about how people can join your groups that you've created. I mean, that's really positive. You can reach me at avramweissphd.com. 
A-V-R-U-M-W-E-I-S-S-P-H-D.com. And you will find a link to a mailing list there. And if you sign up for the mailing list, you will get every article I ever write, whether you want to read it or not. And you will get a free ebook about relationships called Life Lessons Learned. Well, some life lessons that you've learned is how to be an amazing marketer. <laughs> you know, I don't think I am, but, I, but I'm learning. So if you sign up for the mailing list, then you will get articles as I write them. And then if you're interested in a group, you certainly can email me and talk with me about that. But I'll also come, you know, if you want to get together a group of people in your town, you know, through your church or the Lions Club or whatever, and you want to put on a workshop, that's what I would really like to do is to, you know, invite me to your town and, and sponsor a workshop and we'll get a group of men and women together. And that we'll would be cool. Yeah, that that's would be cool. Fun. Are you doing online events as well? I am. I'm talking with some folks in North Carolina about doing something online. I'm doing workshops for therapists and I'm doing workshops for the public both. I actually know a therapist who's been on the show that might make an interesting introduction. So I'd be yeah, happy to. Yeah, that'd be great. Anyone who emails me will get an answer. If you don't hear from me, it's because I didn't get your email. Any email I get, I respond to. Thank you. It's Thanks been an absolute pleasure. Me. Yes, uh, this is going to be a very interesting conversation with my dad. I look forward to hearing about it. And he's welcome to send me any questions or comments he has. All right. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Well, it looks like you're with Professor Abram, huh? Where he's really going over the topic with you of what he does is, is relationship building. And it's very interesting because he has a twist that men without good relationship building are more dependent on women than heterosexual men anyway, are more dependent on women than the other way around. Is that true? For hundreds of thousands of years, that's true, where if you don't have a happy wife or a happy relationship with a female, men seem to need that relationship more than a lot of women. And I agree that sometimes if a relationship breaks up, a man right away looks and seeks a new partner or a new relationship with a woman, because I think he's right that men do have a greater need to still have a relationship with a woman. A lot of times you've heard that saying that a woman is scorned. Sometimes they have a breakup or a bad relationship, and it's hard for them to necessarily want to be with another man right away or at all. So I've seen that my whole life. So I certainly agree with that. I think it's a lot harder for a woman to have a new relationship right away with a with another man if it went sour. And of course, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I just think it takes longer. I think men, they're a lot more jumpy and seeking a new relationship as fast as they can. However, what also came out in the conversation is that men also need relationships with other men and they don't want to look like they are I agree, feminine or looking like they're weak because men always have to look like they're strong, generally speaking. I think that that's a, a truism as well. But, you know, let's face it, relationship building is important for men and women and for communities. And that came out in the conversation also is that when you're not getting attention from your father, whether you're a man or a woman or a, a girl or a boy, you, you seek that attention elsewhere. And sometimes boys misbehave to get their father's attention if they're working a lot of hours. And I think the girls have, are doing the same thing, where sometimes you get into trouble to get attention. If you can't get it enough attention when you're behaving yourself, Sometimes children misbehave because that's the only way they feel like they can get observed and get the attention that they're craving for. When my dad also worked around the clock, I misbehaved quite a bit sometimes. And maybe that's why I got the belt, but he overdid it. My mom certainly put a stop to that because, again, as you know, my mom, well, your grandma is a very strong woman. And in order to keep really the family together and to really make sure that we had a, a stable environment. Let's face it, my mom was a major matriarch of our family and really keeping, keeping our crazy lives at times together, you know, and solidifying that. Her mom did the same thing. I think young men look to their moms for love and attention and also behind the scenes, their strength. Those that have a mom like that, sons look to protect their mothers their whole life. Hopefully, with that type of example, they try very hard to meet a young lady to be able to do the same thing where they want to be a protector. They want to be 
able to show that they can be counted on. And yet, as you know, if you don't have that example from your parents or from mentors or from relationship building when you're young and you're lost, you just don't get it. You show that you get angry and you and things don't go your way. That issue of uh, patience and tolerance, if you don't have it, it takes a lot of practice in getting it. And unfortunately, sometimes relationships break up when you don't have it. And it only makes it worse. In this, and we spiral out of control sometimes. And if you don't have proper relationships and friends and where you feel good about yourself and the people around you don't make you feel good as well as how we end up with fighting and gangs and drugs and alcohol and abuse. And it's not just to other people. It's mostly you put it on yourself because you can't stand the progression that's going in your life. And you don't have the answers of how to feel happy or good about yourself because those relationships and those examples are not there. And what Avram is trying to do is say, hey, let's build relationships. Let's build understanding. Let's try very hard to understand the perspectives of where we're coming from so that we can all get along a lot better. And there should be courses on that because there's a lot of times you go to school and you're learning, but you're by yourself. So learning in teams, playing on teams, having activities, and having activity centers, having gym class, having music, having, you know, in my case where I, I played sports and was on the bait team, student council, the chess team, I spent just as much time with activities. And of course, I had a paper route. I, you know, worked in several restaurants as well. Also worked even as a teenager, as my dad tried to start his own business, where I was in constant motion, had constant relationships. When you're working with people, when you're on different teams, and look at the kind of camaraderie shit my father had when he was in the service. He was even willing to write to the President of the United States that his ship went down and the other men are going to the front line and he's going to Admiral Nimitz's ship. He says, uh, put me back on the front line, okay? I don't want to be treated any different than the rest of my men. That dedication and loyalty is not only to his country, but it was for the people he served with relationships with men and his country and the dedication that he had for grandma and his wife that he's married 66 years. This is the type of examples that you can feed off of. And if you don't have that same type of thing, a lot of people don't get it. Look at the relationship that you've had with your grandparents. Look at the relationship I've had with my grandparents. And even when I had a relationship with Maureen's grandparents, where they knew me and I had a, as good, if not a better relationship with her grandparents, maybe even better than her. So that generational correspondence is also critical to one's development. And that's what makes the Better Call Daddy show, where legacy and generational understanding you get from this show every day. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 